Today is April the 26th, 2021. This is the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. My name is Frank Huerta. I am joined today by Alex Kenzie. Hello. How you doing, Alex? I'm good, man. I'm still recovering from uh, this past weekend hanging out with you and the boys and the girls. About maybe like 10 to 15 pounds heavier, I feel like. Yes. Yes. <laughs> a hallmark of a successful vacation trip yeah, exactly. to Southern California. Which is sad because we did a lot of like moving around, going to see places. Like it wasn't like we were just sedentary eating and drinking. Um, no, but we might as well have just hooked you up to an IV of Mexican food. <laughs> exactly. But uh, it was a great weekend. We For everyone out there, we went to uh, see San Diego and, and got to see a lot of awesome spots there. Coronado Island, Point Loma Lookout. Uh, these little wade pools down at the uh, at the bottom of the cliffs and, and just some beautiful scenery. Um, not great weather by San Diego standards, but mid-60s, I'll take it in April as it was snowing when we left here. Um, and a great time. Got to go see Frank and, and uh, all the peeps out there and eat some amazing food and a successful weekend for sure. It was a good time. Uh, weather did suck. You missed a rain shower by a day, so mm-hmm. I guess it could have been worse. Um mm-hmm. But definitely not as bad as uh, people have it in India, weather yeah. aside. I don't know if you heard what's going on out there with COVID. Yeah. Good news. It's looking rough, man. It's looking really rough. Um, I, I've seen that uh, their healthcare system is like on the verge of collapse right now, it looks like. Um, they have a population of 1.4 billion, which is many more than us, uh, in a smaller area. And uh, only 10% of their population has received one dose and only 1% have both. Uh, and, and just to compare that to America, here we have 53% of people have at least one of the doses. For sure, the, the vaccine aspect of that globally is not good. Um, but with the healthcare system that you have in, in India, you know, they're... India, as big as they are and as, as much progress as they've made in the world in, in, in the past couple of decades or so, they're still an emerging nation. They're, they're, they're mm-hmm. by no means developed. Sure. Um, something like COVID-19, you know, it, it's really going to put a, a strain on, on, on a country like this. India is so big and has such a large population that Gosh, man, we, we may not even know half of, of what's going on out there. Sure. All we know are the people that have been tested and, and, and the folks that they can gather at a local hospital. Yeah, but I mean, even in just the last week, they recorded a cumulative 89% increase in COVID deaths compared with just the week before and a total of 2.2 million new cases in one week. That's, That's the highest seven-day increase experienced anywhere in the world. Uh, and I think their total confirmed infections have now passed like 17 million people. 50% of all positive COVID cases in the world are coming out of India. That's what it is. Wow. That's insane. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, so half of, the, half of the world's positive cases right now are coming from India. It's curious that it's just happening now. I don't know. I mean, they're Southern Hemisphere, so they, you know, they may be a little bit skewed for seasons than we are here in, in, in the States. I don't know what season it is there. Yeah. Um, but But I can't help but think that the United States caught a giant break with our timing of this vaccine, mm. right? Because it, it started rolling out right as these new variants started to spread, spreading faster, killing quicker, uh, infecting more people. Sure. And, and I think the big thing there is they have a, a big, uh, like they don't have the healthcare system to support it. So even like, if it was happening the same here when people, they don't have nearly the enough oxygen beds, all these different things to like support all these cases where we do. So like the effect probably isn't as felt here as it would be there. Sure. No, good point. And I know that AstraZeneca just, uh, promised, I forget how, however many. So today we promised 60 million doses of AstraZeneca to them. And that's great. We're, we're a little bit behind Russia and China, um, but almost justly so in a way, I guess. I mean, this whole thing came from China. If anyone's doing, should be doing something globally to help like, like fix it, I would hope it would be them. As much as I'd love to bag on China for 
anything and everything. They, <laughs> they are kind of pulling around with this with this uh, vaccine deal. You know, they're getting it out to the yeah to the third world. But you're right, man. I mean, it, you know, it, it, you got to take care of your own first, right? Sure. You got to make sure you got to make sure we we got it. If, if we if we can get it and get it to everybody, then that needs to be priority number one. Mm-hmm. And then we can focus on the world. Um, this is my question. Who who pays for sixty million doses that go like? I'm not mad that we're helping out another country, but like, does that l- literally come out of our tax dollars as the U.S. is sending it to them? So yeah, uh, that's a good question. I I don't know how it's divvied up, uh, but but yeah, certainly. I mean, I I, I got to imagine that out of the f- four different, three or four different trillion dollar plus packages that we passed in the past 12 months mm-hmm. between Trump and Biden, you got to imagine that there's money freed up there for these vaccines. Um, I could be speaking out of turn here, but that uh, Operation Warp Speed, I got to imagine, mm-hmm. had uh, you know tax dollars hard at work. And like you said, man, who can, who, who, who can be mad at that? You can't be mad at, uh, you know, providing this kind of help, this sort of uh, assistance to, to people who need it uh, out there in the world and, and ourselves. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, that's, that is tax dollars. It's gotta be. That's not, that's not Pfizer giving up profits or AstraZeneca or Johnson and Johnson or any of mm-hmm. these people, man, no way, no way. You know, it's funny. My job before, before my, my current job, I was working for air gas and they were, uh, uh, provider of industrial gases. So if you're a biotech company, you use a lot of nitrogen and a lot of CO2. You use nitrogen to, in liquid form, to keep cells frozen. And you use CO2 to grow those cells in different stages of their, uh, of their lives. And uh, out here in San Diego and La Jolla, um, it was a big effort for... COVID vaccines for COVID testing, uh, and, and things of the like. And so, you know, a lot of these companies saw a giant boom in revenue and profits this past year because they were called upon. Um, I just, I, I don't see a scenario where these companies can do what they've done without taxpayer assisted funding. The only thing I could think of there was like, maybe they're just getting like redonkulous. Like they're not paying taxes for the next 10 years or whatever. If they're just getting crazy like tax breaks in order to somewhat subsidize this so that like our taxes don't go up a shit ton. You know, that's the only thing I could think that maybe would happen like a bailout of sorts. Is that ridiculous? Like a tax holiday? Yeah. Like, Hey, if you help us help others or whatever, like, we will help you in turn that way it's not being paid for and all our politicians are getting destroyed for the millions and billions of dollars that it costs to produce, distribute, transport all, all this shit everywhere. Um, I I don't know, maybe that's the only thing I could think that would make sense that it's not just like the, the buck, you know, starts with us and we pay for everything. Yeah, sure. Um, no, I mean, it's us, uh, just uh, anything I can find in, in the past, 30 seconds or so is that uh, the federal government is going to pay for all <laughs> vaccines. That you are us. the federal government. I am the federal government. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's us. Um, uh-huh. it, it, it just depends on which, it just depends on, on how they classify it. You know, if it's so a real quick economic lesson, there's two ways that our government spends money, mandatory and, and, and discretionary spending. There's just only two ways. Mm-hmm. Mandatory spending is Medicare, Medicaid, so all federally funded healthcare entitlement programs is it, is essentially what it is. Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Mm-hmm. And there's like a tiny sliver of defense, tiny sliver of this in mandatory spending, but that's about it. Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Everything else that the government spends money on, literally everything else, military, 
you know, parks, department of the interior, department of education, department of housing, department of urban development, department of state, anything that the federal government spends money on outside of Medicare, Medicaid, and social security is called discretionary spending. So before we pay for anything else, by law, we have to pay for those three, th- those three entitlement programs. So it's, it depends on how the federal government divvies this bill up. And if it's through insurance reimbursements, if it's through, like you said, a tax holiday, it, uh, it doesn't seem clear. But at the end of the day, uh, we are footing the bill. Yeah. Might, might be the least abrasive thing that the federal government could spend money on. Sure, 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 but I feel like there's so many things here that could be addressed with that money. Oh, and it's not, I don't mean to say that because like I, I want to help the world. I, I want to think globally, but I feel like, like for sure, like this is a, a pandemic and like we need to help them out. Um, but the, yeah, I just, yeah, the only like counter argument in me is like, well, there's so many things here that like could use that funding. Why are we sending 60 million doses to another country? But like, that's, that's selfish thinking. I, I realize that. It's not selfish thinking. It's a, it's a skeptical view of how your tax dollars are spent. That mm. is precisely what we need more of. Uh, story came out over the weekend. Um, it, it was actually, a, a, it was an opinion piece. It was written uh, by, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it was written by uh, Dr. Stephen Coonan, and he was the undersecretary for science at the uh, Department of Energy under the Obama administration. Um, and he wrote an article about science. <laughs> Love that word, science. Uh, particularly in, uh, as it pertains to climate. I'll, I'll, I'll read a little expert excerpt out of uh, his article over the weekend. Um, to paraphrase the classic movie, The Princess Bride, I don't think the science says what you think it says. For example, both research literature and government reports state clearly that heat waves in the U.S. are now no more common than they were in 1900, and that the warmest temperatures in the U.S. have not risen in the past 50 years. When I tell people this, most are incredulous, some gasp, and some get downright hostile. Here are three more facts that uh, you may not have heard. Humans have had no detectable impact on hurricanes over the past century. Greenland's ice sheet isn't shrinking any more rapidly today than it was 80 years ago. And the global area burned by wildfires has declined more than 25% since 2003 and in 2020 was one of the lowest on record. Um, So, no, man, you're not cynical or selfish or you're looking at a situation and you're saying, hey, um, that sounds good, but... Who's paying for it? And what are we giving up at home to make sure that things are going smoothly abroad? Mm-hmm. Um, you could apply that very same logic to climate science at the risk of being labeled a climate denier. Um, you know, you get, you get the word science, right? And, and I love this word because people love to weaponize the word science listen to the science, trust the science, the science is real. He doesn't believe science is real. He's a science denier, climate science denier. Science, in its nature, at its, at its very core, is just a big combination of falsehoods. It's just a bunch of things that we think we know, that we try and disprove, or at least I hope we try and disprove every day. That is what science is. Science is trying to disprove what you think is the truth. And that's the only way that you can get objective truths, right? There's, there's certainly objective things about science. If you take two hydrogen molecules and you combine it with an oxygen molecule, you're going to get water. And if you take water apart, you're going to find that each molecule of water is two molecules of hydrogen and one molecule of oxygen attached. That's a law of science, right? That that cannot be true, or at least to the very best of our knowledge, we have not been able to disprove that. But you take something like climate science, 
and you get facts like the ones you just heard from somebody who used to be high up in the Department of Energy under the Obama administration. And, you know, you can't help wrestle with those facts, right? I mean, what have we said this whole time? You you have to be able to hold two truths in your mind at the same time, Mm -hmm. right? Is, Is there a increase in carbon emissions as we know them over the past however many years we've been recording carbon emissions? And the answer is yes. Is that due to man-made industrialized societies? Maybe, probably, right? But then you take a guy like Bjorn Lomberg. Bjorn Lomberg is a a, a Danish scientist, uh, author, and uh, is the president of a think tank called the Copenhagen Copenhagen Consensus Center, right? And he's been uh, a, a climate skeptic for many, many years. And his critique of climate science, it goes right alongside your skepticism of where our tax dollars go and why. This guy, based off of the research of all his peers under the ever-arching umbrella of climate science, his stance is that if you were to take all of our resources and combine those resources and then spend and use those resources towards the goal of reducing the temperature of the planet. So in that, in a hundred years, we are not all consumed by our destruction of carbon emissions. Then you would have no measurable attainable goal of reducing the, the, the temperature of the earth by even one degree, plus or minus. You, there's no control over it. The variables are too high. There's literally nothing that we can and, do to where we can guarantee. And you said that was how much? Over what period of time? Over the next 100 years. Jesus. If we took all of our resources and just emptied them and said, in 100 years, if there is even a 1% chance that we will not be here because of our pollution of the planet causing events in the world that are not in our control that will wipe out coastal cities that will do all these things that we've been warned about. If that's even, if that's even true 1%, then it should be a noble goal to, consolidate resources and attack that one problem. Mm-hmm. But Mr. Lomberg is saying, and other climate skeptics, such as Dr. Stephen Coonan, are saying, you cannot predictably change anything that you want to. So even if you're accepting the fact that carbon emissions are causing global warming, And that our pollution of the planet has changed it so that in just a few decades, it may be inhabitable. That may be true. Our ability to change that is not within our control. So I know if you're hearing this, you might be thinking, well, shit, what are you saying, Frank? Like, just stop and, you know, just throw water bottles in the gutter and you know, eat a bunch of meat and not give a shit about anything in the planet? And the answer is no. I mean, of course, like, it's very, very good practice to honor and respect the place you live and the place that nourishes you and the place that gives you food, water, and life to all, right? That is something that we should definitely culturally strive towards. But the real question you should be asking is, where is it that we can do the most good with the resources that we currently have? And the answer is not climate change. And that is the message that needs to get out. That's the message that needs to ring true with anybody who would try to be militant about Mm. how and why we go about our global climate initiative, if you will. 
Now is that, from what I remember, climate change became this big thing with Al Gore. I'm sure it was a thing before that, but I feel like it really got brought really before. To the, yeah, but did it really get brought to the public eye when he made a big point to to bring to grandstand about it? Basically, here's what here's what Al Gore did that was able to spark the catalyst of modern day climate change. Mm-hmm. He was able to use fear and very simple tactics to spread this fear about climate change. Mm-hmm. We're warming at a certain rate. There's been this much carbon emitted in the earth. And we know based off of different carbon capturing techniques, such as greenhouses, that this stuff can't escape, right? So it stays on the earth and it warms everything up. And if you can, if you can accept that is a realistic trend upward, then you could safely assume that with the warming of the planet, there will be catastrophic disasters, right? Mm-hmm. And all you got to do is show a couple of cutaways to smokestacks and burning coal and a bunch of, uh, you know, oil rigs out on the, on the, on the ocean and, you know, extinct species because of this and this, that, and the other, and, and, and just use a lot of information that is good towards your goal. Or sometimes just a death counter on a TV screen. Perfect. Right. (laughs) Perfect. Something that incites fear in people so much so that they are motivated to action. Right. Right. For example, recycling, particularly in the United States, recycling is one of the biggest scams ever, Mm -hmm. like ever, 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 ever. Really? It is a net negative carbon emitter, meaning the amount of plastics or whatever material that we recycle in the way that we do it is done no more so for the benefit of our planet as it pertains to climate change or pollution or emissions as it is for profit. So Hmm. the way that we recycle is incredibly inefficient. And if we're not selling our garbage off to China or some other places that, you know, won't recycle it anymore, then we're stuck with our methods and our methods suck. Hmm. So if I were to tell you right now to just go and throw a plastic water bottle in a regular trash can when it's directly next to a recycling bin, you could make the case that you're doing the planet a better favor than by not recycling. Hmm. Now I'm not here to say that's true one way or the other, but the point is what Al Gore was able to do And what a lot of other people have been able to do is cash in on soft-headed people who have the best of intentions, right? Because there's nothing you can do to somebody who is convinced, no matter how much data they see, that we're not capable of stopping anything when it comes to climate and this earth. It's beyond our control. So far as we know. Right? There's nothing that's coming along since. And maybe it's a noble effort. But these people who believe it so much so it's clutched in their in their soul, it's attached to their emotions. There's nothing you're going to be able to do for these people to help them see an alternate view of this method. And that was Al Gore's success because he was able to fly a private jet around the country talking a bunch of seminars chastising people about their carbon emissions and then not change anything in his world. Right. And so is the idea there then, do you think, uh, to take away money from the coal industry and from, you know, the oil industry, yada, yada, and to shift it towards, you know, solar panels, towards electric vehicles, towards all these, these different initiatives that may not help, but is another way for certain industries or, you know, certain companies to profit while other ones that traditionally had had, uh, you know, a monopoly or whatever you want to call it on the market to, you know, lose, lose money. You think that's like the real plan, like, like the, the scheme here? Well, 
you need to look no further than California to answer that question because what they're doing is equal parts very smart and very dumb. So what they've decided to do is they've decided to monetize carbon, right? Mm -hmm. And the way they've done that is they've said, okay, you are a manufacturer of rubber in California, right? You take raw materials, you make rubber out of them. I don't know what it takes to make rubber. But for the sake of argument, we're going to say that you emit 2 million tons of carbon every year to do your job. And your job is necessary. It's vital to America and California's economy, but you have to emit carbon. So what California has done, California Air Resources Board, CARB, they've said, okay, we're going to give you an allotment of credits every year based off of your productions. And if you need to produce more carbon than we have allotted you, you need to pay for that carbon. And the way they pay for it is another company, say, for example, a high school who has decided to install a bunch of electric vehicle chargers at their school or a college or whatever. Hmm. California has recognized that as effectively taking carbon out of the atmosphere. So this community, we'll call it a community college. This community college installs a bunch of electric vehicle chargers. They start charging vehicles, which it would have otherwise taken petroleum and they have earned carbon credits. So they go to a marketplace where this rubber company can go and they say, hey, we've spent more carbon credits than we need to spend. We need to buy some. This community college says, hey, you know, we don't manufacture anything, but we do charge a lot of vehicles and we're actually getting paid carbon credits for that. I can sell you this carbon credit for X amount of dollars. Wow. And this company needs to buy it because if they don't, yeah. then they can't process what they what they make and they get fined uh, by California Air Resource Board. So wow. California's done a very smart thing and they've monetized carbon. They've mm. created a market for it. That is how you change things. You create a market for it. Now, the infrastructure of renewable energy like electric vehicles is very tricky because you're not using renewable energy to power the electrical grid, right? If you're not talking about nuclear energy, which is the only energy that we know of that we can contain the waste, outside of like hydrogen, which is just water, then what you're talking about is coal-powered energy plants or whatever fossil fuel that is needed to power these electrical grids in all of our major cities. So it's a catch-22, right? You got to build out the infrastructure. You have to put the cart before the horse. You have to make sure that there's electric vehicle chargers before there's electric vehicles. And then that kind of snowballs. But what you really got to figure out is what is the infrastructure going to look like? How are we going to power these things? Is this still going to be you know, carbon emitting fuel to power the grid that powers our chargers? How are you going to recycle the batteries? How are you going to make sure uh, that it's affordable for the long term, right? California is doing a good job of this. They're really, really putting in a bunch of incentives. They're laying the groundwork for the rest of the country. So what you're going to see in the next five to 10 years is a lot of states and possibly the federal government changed to these models where they are monetizing their carbon output so that they can track it and make it worthwhile for people to invest in clean energy infrastructure. So that's how you do it. But again, if you're not talking about nuclear energy, then you're not talking about a renewable source of energy. You're not talking about something that can be contained and you're not talking about something that doesn't have any carbon emissions. You're lowering them. Yeah, sure. Um, but this all goes back to the main point. You know, you have to be skeptic, skeptical of the science, right? California has some of the world's cleanest breathing air. Like even in Los Angeles, man, they have done a tremendous job of scrubbing the air of pollutants. 
But if you're going to take away plastic straws, because a minuscule amount of them are going to end up in the ocean and an even smaller amount of them are going to cause harm to somebody, something in the ocean, you know, it pays to be skeptical of that because it's not about the straws and it's not about, you know, making vaccines. It's not about wanting a cleaner planet. It's what are you going to be allowed to be lied to about for the quote unquote greater good. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think something as noble as climate change or the betterment of the quality of air in our planet is something that we should be able to accept lies about because it serves the greater good. So you want my answer to how you change it? Tell the fucking truth about everything because then you're going to really know how to get the greatest amount of good done with the amount of resources that we have. No. So even, even as good as California is doing with climate, it's still probably too much. People are easy to control when they feel like they're doing good. When they're afraid of the alternative and they feel like they're doing yeah. good, right? Yep. Like what did it, what was it that I heard today? Um, that wearing masks is like the left's version of the MAGA hat. isn't that hilarious dude i heard that and i was just like oh yeah absolutely you know because uh, number one they're scared of being a person that you know transmits covid right Mm. but if you're on a hike outdoors and you're wearing a mask then you're just trying to prove something you know you're just trying to signal that i'm you know i'm here for the greater good and like you said they can be controlled because they want to be the ones doing good they're Mm -hmm. driven by the status of what it means to be a good person and also fear of being a person that spreads covid i'm not saying it's all cynical but yeah man very easy to control somebody with very little effort and very little information I don't want to make this argument, but that feels like religion to me just a little bit too. I know it always goes there, but what you just described is religion almost to a T. Yeah, no (laughs) doubt. No doubt. It's, I mean, yeah, for sure. Like it it, it has very much, very, um, obvious parallels to the cultish ways of manipulative institutions for sure. Absolutely. But I don't want to debate that. We will. I'm sure we'll do it another time anyway. But as you said, I, it, it just I made have me no think doubt. About it. <laughs> I have no doubt. But you know, pol- but, but you know, politics is 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 a form of religion. Certainly, and people sure. people follow it that way. Yeah. Have you been paying attention to the shifting of the seats? What's what's going on uh, post census? I, I did. I did see that there was a, a slight shift in uh, in representation for uh, California in, in the South. Yeah. So it seems. Um, I never really realized this, to be honest with you, but the census is what, every 10 years? Yes. Okay. Uh, So those numbers are just coming out from the 2020 census, and it appears that there seems to be a big population growth in the South and a population eh, exodus, uh, relative change in quite a few other places. Yes. In a a couple states, quite a few states. Um, And it's really interesting to like break that data down. Um, but what you're seeing as a result is that Texas, Florida, and North Carolina, which are all three very traditionally red states, uh, will gain a combined four additional seats in Congress come 2023 based off of that, that population. The other thing that you're going to see is that four Northern states that all happen to have democratic governors, Illinois, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and New York are each losing one seat in Congress. Um, and just, just to mention Ohio, which is traditionally red, kind of goes back and forth, but that they're also losing one seat too. Um, but what I, what, what I was reading about it and, and I, what I found really interesting is that it seems that in a lot of these States, their people are leaving because they don't agree with perhaps the politics or some of the people or just the way of life in, in those areas. It seems like the data is showing that a lot of them are leaving and going to these other States where they have maybe a little bit more liberties or they're not necessarily told as much what to do with their money. Yeah, you know what you'll see in states like California, 
uh, New York, which is, you know, obviously run by the city, Illinois, which is run by Chicago. What you see in states like this are populist policy decisions. For example, California has a supermajority, which means that they have a Democratic majority in the House, the Senate, and uh, the governor. Plus, they have zero statewide offices held by a Republican. Wow. So what you see is these policy decisions, which sound good to the people that got these folks elected, and they have a lag in their... Uh, and how they show up in real life, right? They mm-hmm. sound good. They sound good. We're implementing these things. It sounds good. You know, all these things that, you know, forgive me, but very simple-minded people, soft-headed people with the best intentions, but don't want to do the difficult thing of governing. They're going to latch onto that. And what you're seeing is a lot of people leaving because these policy decisions have now caught up to themselves. And it's like, hey, am I going to dig my feet in here and fight and try and get this going from from the ground up and change it from within, which takes decades? Or am I going to go to a place that's already free and that already celebrates liberty and that loves all people that love liberty, right? It's mm-hmm. way easier to do that. And so what you're seeing is a lot of these people leaving these godforsaken states that have been implementing terrible policy for the past 20 years, and it's bearing fruit, and now they're leaving. And the big question is, are they leaving to ruin more states? Perhaps. Another thing that I read is that what they're seeing, especially like in, in these Midwest states, um, is that their industries are so hobbled to where they used to be huge manufacturing, you know, automotive manufacturing and different, different uh, categories. But you're, you're seeing those, all of those economies, a lot of them have died. Like you look at Detroit, you look at Toledo, you look at a lot of places, you know, they're on the rebound now, but like traditionally over the past, you know, 40, 50 years, they've been in decline, they've been suffering. And um, what you're seeing is a lot of people not staying and living there. So they have a high death, a higher death rate, or like the death rate remains the same a lot of the young people move away to, because they want to go to Chicago, to LA, to wherever, to another, to Texas, wherever they want to go to a, a booming market and, and to try to find the best job to set themselves up for life, whatever. Um, but so you're seeing that the population in all these States is decreasing as a result of this. So it, it's, it's interesting to see like how economies also affect um, how the state would vote and, and who would be put in there and how easy they would be to perhaps sway when a candidate comes through and says, I'm going to fix this, 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 and this. And really maybe they don't do any of that, but like one year vote. I think you hit it. I think you hit it on the head there when you said young people, you know, mm-hmm. I would imagine that if you're an ambitious young person in a place like Toledo, Ohio, um, that, you know, you don't have a ton of promise for things that are going to get better, right? Like what new industries are coming to the Rust Belt, right? And, and, and you know, to that point, I mean, places like Toledo and Cleveland and even Columbus, I mean, these, these places are really, really rejuvenating themselves. And Detroit, to, to a certain extent, I mean, th- th- there's a lot for sure. of investment going into these communities. But... In a time where we're all connected and you can see the bright lights in New York City or you can see the oceans of California or, um, you know, a really laid back free lifestyle of Austin, Texas uh, and all these places where people are going and having a lot of fun and enjoying themselves quite a bit. And then you see a place that lies along the Rust Belt and you're a young person there's not a whole lot that that's grabbing you. It's telling you, mm-hmm. hey, you know, stay here. You can, you know, you can really do it here. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think you hit it on the head, man. I think young people want to go and explore. They want to have an adventure. They want to be 
in the mix. Um, yeah. And so it makes, it makes sense. Yeah. And I saw another thing that said after the 1920 census, uh, the eight States that border the great lakes, kind of like that rust belt, Mm -hmm. they had elected 175 members of Congress in 2022. They will elect 113 members of Congress. So that's a third less. That's a third less of control, say whatever you want to put it, that they have now as a result, literally just of population and, and industry and economy. Yeah, certainly. And, and, and what's going to be curious is, you know, this census is a lagging indicator of the previous decade, right? And what happened before that, this previous decade, was the recession. And if you can remember back to like 2008, 2009, things were grim for the Clevelands and the Detroits and the Toledos. I mean, these were miserable places that had absolute, I mean, this was like the, I guess like the rock bottom of, you know, the the exodus of industry in these areas. Um, It'll be interesting to see what these places do if they're smart and they make their state the most attractive it could possibly be for people fleeing places like California, where it's so hard to do anything as a business person, it is incredibly difficult with all of the regulations that you need to follow, all of the ways that you can get fined, all of the ways that the state is trying to tax you and your hard work and your pay. That's one thing, but when you see what they do with it and how terrible things look in California right now and they look terrible. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see what these states do, what they, if they decide to present themselves as tax havens, as uh, places where you can do business free and clear of any, you know, ridiculous government um, regulations or, 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 or red tape put up against you. Um, you know, that's why Texas is such a tremendously attractive place, particularly for an Elon Musk. I mean, shit, I can't even fathom the millions of dollars that he saves when he moves his headquarters from Fremont, California to Texas, just by changing the address, Mm -hmm. just the tens of millions of dollars saved. So there's a great opportunity here. Uh, for these places that are seeing the lingering effects of this great downfall of industry in, in, in the United States. So I hope they take advantage of it, man. Uh, and I, and I hope they don't follow in the footsteps of, uh, our fearless leader, <laughs> Gavin Newsom. What a prick. He's in some trouble right now, man. A little bit. He's he's definitely in trouble. So there's <laughs> been a there's been an initiative going on in California for probably the last eight months or so, uh, to get this guy out of office, recalled. Um and this all stems from a couple of things. There's one event in particular that I'm sure everybody has in their head right now of the day that Gavin Newsom went to the French Laundry and had a dinner. Um, where just earlier that day there was a press conference held that said that uh, indoor dining could, you know, put your grandma at risk of death. And then he goes to the French Laundry. If you guys don't know what the French Laundry is, might be the most uh, expensive dinner that you could buy in the United States. If not, it's 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 up there. Uh, it's a little place in Napa, California, and uh, Gavin Newsom decided to attend a birthday dinner there, and they were like indoors, but not really indoors. And truth of the matter is, nobody gives a shit where Gavin Newsom has dinner, or who he has it with, or whether it's indoors or not, and who's wearing a mask. Nobody cares. What they care about is when he tells you to do something, and then he does the complete opposite of it in a room full of people that are telling you to do one thing and doing the complete opposite of it, including health officials. Um, 
So he's just mismanaged this thing from day one. I mean, can you fault the guy for shutting places down? Probably not. Can you fault him for continuing to shut places down? Probably not. Can you fault him for being a flaming hypocrite? Absolutely. <laughs> and that is what California has decided to do. They gathered uh, more than a hundred or more than 1.6 million signatures um, that have been verified. Uh, and that is plenty to put a recall on the ballot. And it's interesting how a California governor recall ballot goes down. We've seen this most recently in 2003 with the recall of Gray Davis and the election of none other than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. Gray Davis was recalled because of some weird electrical grid rolling blackout mess that was actually caused by Enron or their affiliates or something like that. If you ever watch the documentary, The Smartest People in the Room, it'll tell you exactly why Gray Davis got recalled. And it's actually not very fair at all. I feel bad for the guy because it ruined his entire political career. But um, if Governor Newsom gets recalled, I think it's well-deserved. Um, there's going to be a ballot. Uh, there's going to be an election um, this coming fall. And there's going to be two things on the ballot. One is going to say, should Gavin Newsom, governor of California, be recalled? Yes or no? And then the next question is, if Gavin Newsom, governor of California, is recalled, who should be the governor? And that's where things get very interesting. Because in order to put your name on the ballot for... Uh, governor of California during a recall, I think you only need like 200 signatures and like $2,000 paid to the um, Board of Elections. And that's it. That's all you need. And you don't need any sort of preset majority. You just need the most amount of votes out of all the people that are going to be on the ballot. In 2003, um, who were some notable ones? Uh, Mary Carey, <laughs> she ran for governor. Hmm. Um, former porn star, Mary Carey. Um, who's the guy that played Willis? He's Willis. now deceased. Gary Coleman. Gary oh. Coleman oh, <laughs> ran Willis. for governor in 2003. Um, and now we have Caitlyn Jenner running for governor. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's it. Uh, will he get recalled? Probably it's tricky because he's Democrat, right? So if you're, uh, the Democrat party in California, you can't be like, I mean, what can you say? Hey, don't recall Gavin Newsom, but if you do vote for this guy, you know, like it's almost, it's almost inevitably going to be a Republican that gets an office, which is huge because there hasn't been a Republican in office in, in California governor for a very long time. So, um, I think Arnold was the last one and he didn't do much, man. He was kind of shitty don't, governor, but don't you have to be U S born to do that? No. Or is that just president? Just president. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just president. So yeah, man, that's how it's going to go down. People Should are going to go to the ballot. They're going to ask them and you're not going to go to the ballot. If you don't want the guy recalled, what are you going to do? Go and you know, you're not going to be unless you really like the guy and really don't want him to go, which I don't know that there's many of them out there, then you're not going to go to the, the polls. You're going to go to the polls because you want him gone. So mm-hmm. if enough people say they want him gone, then he's out of here and then we'll have somebody new and who knows who that's going to be. That'd probably be Kanye's best way to hold office. Yeah, it probably will. Honestly, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, 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 and I'm not even joking. That That is a true statement. It becomes a... Popularity contest. That's all it becomes at, at right. this point because you have so many friggin' people on the ballot um, that it just, you know, it becomes what, what name is most recognizable. And that's how you get an Arnold Schwarzenegger governor. Seems seems like that should be done in two steps. Like, do you want to recall? Yes. Okay. Now here is the next vote to or like to do an, an election like normal Republican, independent. Democrat, and then you make a you know decision. I feel like, but there's too much room for chaos doing it this way. True, uh, there is, and it's an ass backwards way. 
Um, and so goes the way of California politics. <laughs> <laughs> just, that's honestly the only answer I have for that because yeah. it's, it's such a wacky state that it makes sense that this stuff is so chaotic. But <laughs> in, in this respect, I, I do think that, uh, I think if he does get, uh, recalled, it's, it's worth it. He's, he's, uh, you know, he, he's bought and paid for by the people that got him elected and it is no secret. Could a Republican uh, governor be reelected if chose if 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 he wins if he or she wins? Is there any chance they could be reelected come election time in California? Possibly, hmm. possibly, sure. I mean, um, Kevin Faulkner, former mayor of San Diego, is is running for governor. Um, hey, if he if he wins the 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 governorship of California, he'll get reelected. He's a very moderate Republican, um, mm-hmm. very sensible guy, nothing radical by any means. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a kind of Republican that could get reelected, but you have to get him in there. Yeah. You know? Um, so we'll see. Um, only other California news that I can think of is the, uh, Oscars. Did you watch them? <laughs> No, to be honest with you, I forgot they were on, man. <laughs> well, you were not alone. Um, oh. The Oscars saw a 58% drop in viewership this year. Damn, really? No, 58%. Um, wow. They, they had 9.9 million viewers, and last year was 23.6 million viewers. This year was 9.9. And it's a weird <sighs> thing because... The World Series, the mm-hmm. uh, Stanley Cup Finals, the NBA Finals, all these big events, save for the Super Bowl, were had experienced extreme loss of viewership this year. And I'm curious why that is. Uh, uh, there's a lot of people that are making the argument that Americans are tired of uh, the most rich and famous people of the world getting up on a national stage and berating us for not being uh, better humans than we are. Um, I think that has something to do with it, but it's hard to promote something to where nobody's seen the movies. Have you seen any of the movies nominated? I couldn't even tell you what movies were nominated. Well, I'll tell you, I'll just go through a couple of the categories, see if you know any of these movies, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only heard of a couple. So Best Picture went to Nomadland. Um, that also won uh, Best Actress with uh, Frances McDormand. And before I butcher this woman's name, it won Best Director, Chloe Zhao. So Nomadland won big, but here's some of the other movies that were nominated. The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. That's the only one I've heard of, The Trial of the Chicago 7 and Judas and the Black Messiah. There's only two that I've heard of. I saw Judas and it was excellent. Very, very good movie. Very good movie. I haven't seen any of the other ones, so I can't tell you who should have won, but that's the, that is the only one I have seen. And the only other one I had heard of was the Chicago seven, which I've been meaning to see. Yeah. Um, I, I heard of that one too. Um, and I heard of nomad land. I mean, the name sounds familiar ish, you know? Um, but everything else, nothing, uh, sound of metal. I heard of that too. Um, and I think it's like a metal drummer who's going deaf. Hmm. Um, how do you pronounce this guy's last name? Daniel Kal- Kaluuya. He was in Judas and the Black Messiah. He was in Get Out. Um, he won actor in a supporting role. He he yep. won for that. Um, I guess Sasha Baron Cohen was nominated for Trial of the Chicago Seven uh, actor in supporting role. Okay. Um, actor in a leading role, Anthony Hopkins, the father. Um, and like I mentioned, Francis McDormand, 
tremendous actress won for Nomadland. You know, so, it's a, a weird year when one of the best supporting actresses is from Borat 2. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. looking at it now. Like, that is fucking ridiculous. Hilarious, man. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as much as I would love to say it's because we've had enough of smug Hollywood actors and actresses, I would love it if that was the case. This Oscars had no host and... There wasn't yeah, even a was host? The mo- there was no, it was hostless. <sighs> God. Yeah. Um, and so... I don't know. I, and nobody's watching movies, right? I mean, they tried the streaming deal and maybe I'm just not tapped into American pop culture like I used to be, but I got to imagine that these ratings, the way they're down like this has to do with the fact that none of these movies got very many viewers this year, at least, you know, who knows, maybe in time we'll, we'll you know, recognize them for the great cinematic art pieces that they are. But for now, it seems that people just didn't care. Like at all. And I mean, Sunday, April 25th, you had a masterpiece of a baseball game between the Padres and Dodgers. But that was it. There was no other competition for the Oscars. So very interesting uh, statistics there. I I, uh, I wonder what we'll see next year. Yeah. And I'm just looking now, like kind of as you're talking at comparing last year's best picture film, like lists to... Uh, this year's and it's just insane. It's it's insane. So last year you had 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Little Women, Ford vs Ferrari, Parasite, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, The Irishman, Marriage Story. Like, dude, <laughs> I saw are... I saw seven of those movies last year. <laughs> I saw all of them, dude, other than Jojo Rabbit. That, that's that's cra- a good, that's a good movie. That's a good movie. I, I've heard I heard good things, but. It, when you compare those, it's like, I haven't even heard of the other five. I haven't even heard of seven on this year's and I've, I've heard of, you know, I haven't seen two on last year's list and I saw all the rest and I had heard of two this year. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, and, and it could be that, I don't know, maybe the budgets were already spent on traditional advertising of the movies that were in these categories mm-hmm. and that they couldn't push them as they went to streaming but I, I mean, come on, man! Like you're bringing the movies to the to the damn couch. You got to be able to do better than that. Yeah, and at the end of the day, the film will do the the talking more than anything. Last year, the winner of best film was Parasite. Who went and saw Parasite in theaters when it came out? Yeah, right. But who saw it after? Like me, I saw it after the the best after it won best picture because I I thought Joker should have won last year. I thought it was phenomenal. I thought 1917 was also really good. Um. And I'd never heard of Parasite, but because it won, it got all this acclaim. I went and watched it, and it's a it's a fucking great movie. No, I, I, I've heard. I, I, I that's one of the nine that I one of the one of the two out of that nine I hadn't seen. Still oh, haven't seen Parasite. Do it. But, um, do it. but yeah, man. I mean, like, I don't know if you or I are itching to go out and see Nomadland, right, or The Father, or you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like I it, have to now because <laughs> yeah, I just said yeah, I hadn't I seen yeah. Parasite and it was fucking great. So I, I'm going to watch Nomadland and I'll get back to you. I'll report. Very good. Well, we're coming <laughs> up on an hour. Um, you want to hit me with some sports news real quick? We are. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll speed through this really quick here. Uh, well, first of all, congratulations to your San Diego Padres as they won their series this weekend versus the Dodgers. Three to one. Good job. Very proud nice. of you guys. Um Masvidal got knocked the fuck out by Usman, which was yeah, pretty I saw that. incredible punch. Yeah, it was pretty nasty. I wanted to see that fight go longer, but, you know, hey, I love to see a good knockout. Um, also, in the same card, Chris, is it Weidman? Weidman? You mm-hmm. know? He really broke his ankle pretty bad, very badly. If you haven't seen the video, go check it out. Um but just a weird little fight, like little thing that I saw here. He is the third fighter in UFC to suffer a broken leg due to a checked kick. Interesting. He himself has been involved in two of those three because just, I think it was two years ago, uh, Anderson Silva broke his leg on this dude's shin. Uh, and now it kind of comes full circle. So, Not that, you know, you want to see that, but just interesting. So he, he tried to throw a kick. And got checked. Yeah, he got, and he it got, got checked, blocked. and it broke his and it broke his leg, and he didn't know it until he tried to stand. 
Yeah. And he went, yes. And he, he, he like kicked him and went back like to catch himself, gain his balance. And you just watch his ankle, just 90 degree angle, uh, giveaway. And, and that was about it. But it was, it was pretty disgusting. We really hope he gets better. Uh, it took Anderson Silva 13 months to recover. So, um, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, his, his career is not over, you know, hopefully he'll be back. Uh, Anderson was, he, that happened to Anderson, I think when he was like 35 or 36 and he's fighting again. So with any sense that man will never get back into a room ever again. <laughs> yes, for sure. But these guys don't seem to be very sensible human beings. So nah, nah, I don't, I don't yeah, have hope. Yeah, yeah. No, they get paid a shit ton of money though. So I fuck you throw sense out the window, I guess at that point. Um, another interesting thing that came uh, this weekend is that, uh, Kansas city's Kansas City Chiefs' uh, backup tight end, Sean Colkin, becomes the first NFL player to convert his entire salary to Bitcoin. So for the next year, if he's on the roster, he will be paid in Bitcoin or immediately cashing in his checks for Bitcoin. I'm not completely positive what's happening, but... What a loser. <laughs> you think, though? Because, like... That what, guy's a moron. But what would have been a million-dollar salary? Because I think that's what he comes in at, like 960 or a million or whatever... I think that's what his salary was going to be for next year. And I mean, he could take that and turn that into two or three million. Yeah, but by doing nothing. Bitcoin just saw like a $20,000 drop this weekend. Yeah. So, I mean, like, whatever, dude, it's your money. But it would be like, I mean, that's like any of us putting our money in the most volatile investment that there is. I'm not, I'm not here to be bearish on Bitcoin mm-hmm. and I'm certainly not a financial advisor, but I don't think that this guy has a financial advisor because if anybody <laughs> had a financial advisor and was bringing any sizable amount of money in, nobody <laughs> would advise this guy to put it in Bitcoin. My, my girl's dad is a financial advisor mm-hmm. and he'll tell me, Hey, you're an idiot if you don't ride this wave. But I'm not putting my client's money in it. Mm. You know, Mm. if you want to put your personal money in it, fine. Yeah, do it. And you probably should because it's obviously on an upward trajectory and you could probably make a decent money amount of money in it if you monitor it closely and you have a risk plan coming in so that when it hits a certain point, you're not losing all of your money. Maybe this guy has that. Maybe he's smarter than I'm giving him credit for. But it just seems like an insanely moronic move to do risky. Yeah. the only income that you have. And what other income are you making if you're a second string tight end behind Travis Kelsey in the NFL? Right. Yeah, you're not retiring know. to become a sportscaster or anything like that. I Good would be luck surprised. to you. Yeah. Seems mighty stupid. <laughs> uh, and then just quickly, hey, I got to shout him out. Um, as a LeBron James uh, fan, maybe, you know, there has been times when I have not been his biggest fan. Uh, but Stephen Curry has just been on fucking fire uh, this last month, and he's shooting at a ridiculous clip. Um, he be, he set a record, uh, I think it was two days ago, for the most threes in a calendar month with 85. Uh, the previous record was held by James Harden, who hit 82 in November of 19, which is crazy. Um, but Steph this month shot 52, basically 50, 52.9, 53% from the field and 47% from three. Insane. Got to give him credit. I, I just is think that that's good, an amazing is stat. That, is that good? That's quite good. Yeah. That's I don't watch good. a whole lot of NBA basketball. I know that that's an outrageous uh, statistic. And I have heard that this guy is just lights out. Yeah. Um, Insane. I mean, the Warriors still are maybe might not even make the playoffs because the West is ridiculous and his team's kind of short staffed right now. But, uh, you know, credits for credits, dude. That's well, that you got to imagine changed. that makes it a little harder on him, right? If he doesn't have Clay Thompson to free uh, right. free himself up in the backcourt and, and, you know, the, the pieces that they've had in the past five or six years that have, you know, allowed for Steph to, you know, play his game the way he wants it to. I mean, it might even be more impressive that he's doing it now because he doesn't have that help. Um, I, like I said, I don't watch a ton of basketball, so I can't really speak on it from, from seeing it uh, up close and, 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 and live on TV, but, um, yeah, look, more power to you stuff. Keep going, man. That's, um, it's good shit. He, I think he might be the next superstar to leave, which would be a, a pretty shocking move, but I think he's going to go to like a Milwaukee 
a perhaps LA Lakers situation. I, I think I don't think he's going to stay in Golden State his whole career. To be honest, nah, with you. I think so. I think he's there. Yeah, I think he's I, there. I don't know, sure. man. Yeah, we'll see. I think he's there. He's old for a basketball yeah. player. Shit, but he just put up the most three points in any NBA player ever in a month. For sure. He can still for fucking sure. play. We'll see. Uh, I, I would like to see him finish it out there. Um, That'd be cool. You don't see it very it much cool. these days. It would be cool if he was like still that thorn in LeBron's side that didn't let him win all those championships in Cleveland <laughs> and like leaves him with one in, in L.A. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't, it's, everybody needs somebody, right? And uh, yeah. it would be cool. It would just be cool if, if, if Steph was just like, no, 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 no. Even if Steph, even if the Warriors didn't win the championship, but they knocked him out like the second round or whatever. And it was just always the Warriors that got him. I'm yeah. Just, you know, I, I like, I like rivalries. And um, I thought that the Lakers championship last, last year was kind of cheap. You think so? Well, I, th- I think the Dodgers ah. championship last year was really cheap too. Yeah, I think there's some bias there, friend. Nah, man, for sure. I would say it. I would say it if it was the Padres that won, but I would still celebrate it like it was any <laughs> other championship. You know, I mean, you, you have the right. Um, I, I can't speak for baseball, dude, but the NBA guys locked themselves into a bubble for months. Didn't see their friends or family. Just was there for basketball had no semblance of like a normal life. You can't tell me that's not a hard championship to win, man. No way. How do you how do you fall into any kind of routine or any kind of everything you've always done as a basketball player, as an athlete, as a as a guy, as a man, as a family man, that's all thrown out the window. You are a basketball drone for the next three and a half months as you sit in this bubble. That's hard. Yeah, for that's sure. mentally very hard. But you know what's harder mm-hmm. is playing a full season healthy. Well, yeah, sure. But I mean, that's that affects injuries affect everyone the exact same when the season's the same amount of length. I, I agree. Uh, I, I, I don't think there should be like an asterisk or anything, but personally, I just think that a shortened season championships, just a little bit weak, <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. But, now, if, uh, we'll see. I mean, yeah, he's hurt right now. Any. LeBron. He, is. he put up a post today that he's coming back soon. Anthony Davis just came back over the weekend, so uh, they are going to be a very interesting team to watch come playoffs. The, the, there's almost no doubt in my mind that they'll make it, although the West is insanely tough. But, you know, with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Andre Drummond, you know, Marcus All, Dennis Schroeder, these guys are loaded, man. It, it, I mean, as are the Brooklyn Nets, as are the Clippers, as they, I mean, they just picked up. Um, DeMarcus Cousins, which, you know, who knows, could could be a great pickup. He's, he, he could be a great bench addition. He was for the Lakers last year. Uh, but I, I honestly don't see any other finals that isn't, if the Brooklyn Nets stay healthy and the Lakers stay healthy, I don't see a finals that isn't them. Unless Philadelphia, maybe Milwaukee can shake something up, but I, I don't see any other um, any other result. But who knows? Who knows? I thought that Bucks were a shoe-in last year and Milwaukee beat them, so... Or, and the heat ended up going, I mean, so we shall Sports. see. Sports. Um, but with that, you want to go play Call of Duty? Nothing would make me happier. Sweetness. As always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, sponsors of opportunities, you just want to tell us that you love the way our voices sound on the microphone when we talk to you. Uh, we'd love to hear that. That'd be cool. Send us an email, bummerdude.media at gmail.com. We will be sure to answer you. And yeah, until then, we will see you next time. Bye-bye.